Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Let's look at, let's try to finish Ephesians 1 here at least. We keep running out of time um, because there's just so much to talk about. And uh, I'm not going to, actually I'm going to go through this fairly quickly, the end part here of of Romans 1, because we just don't have time to discuss it in detail. Um, But basically what Paul does is he talks about his prayer for these believers on the basis of their election and their salvation and who they are. He says, I don't stop thinking, giving thanks for you in verse 16, making mention of you in my prayers. And what did he pray for? Well, it's interesting. He did not pray for physical well-being or for the jobs to go well or for the persecution to ease or anything like that. Rather, he prayed that they may, that God may give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That they would understand spiritual truth. That's basically it. And uh, if you want to pray according to the will of God for somebody, pray that God would give them spiritual understanding. That they would really understand what God is doing. And that's the thing we usually don't pray for, isn't it? You know, we're praying for everything else but that. And by the way, in your own life, that's probably something good to pray for. Pray that God would give you understanding and insight. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what's the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in heavenly places. If, you, if you're having a hard time, here's the bottom line. If you're having a hard time understanding predestination, election, all that, pray that God will give you spiritual wisdom. Just pray that God would open your eyes and help you understand it. Because what's he praying that they would understand? That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What's that? (coughs) Hope is not, well, maybe I'll get it, maybe I won't. Hope is the assurity of some future thing that we we are assured of. That we would understand what our ultimate end is, is what he's saying. God's calling was he's called you to salvation. Now, what does that entail? What does all of that mean? That you would understand that. That's what Paul was praying for. And the riches of his glory, and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint, what your, what your inheritance is going to be someday. <coughs> and what the great power, what the greatness of his power was toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And there's four words for power energy there in that verse. Four different ones. And the whole point there, see here's the thing. God is not only sovereign, but he's powerful enough to pull it off. You know, you can want to do a lot of things. If you don't have the power to do it, it isn't going to help you. But God not only can do it, he has the power to do it. And Paul wants them to understand the power and the resources and the wealth and their inheritance. And the only way they're going to do that is by having the spiritual eyes open that they may understand spiritual truth. And how, 
how was God's power most evident? Well, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated in him as right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. What kind of power was this? The kind of power that exalted Christ far above all angelic hosts. And that's what this uh, principality, power, might, and dominion, these are various rankings of angelic beings. They also appear in Ephesians 6. It says Christ has been exalted above all of them. Why? Why was he exalted? He humbled himself the most. That's, we'll get that to Philippians chapter 2. But God exalted him far above. And not only in this age, what age would that have been? Well, the age in which they're living and in the age to come, eternity. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the head of the church, and God put all things under Christ's feet. All, he has been exalted above everything. <coughs> Far above all things. And the church is his body. So I have to, I have to correct myself on my first statement. Ephesians is about the body of Christ. If Colossians is the head. So I got them backwards, I think, for you. Because I know somebody's going to answer it wrong on the test and they're going to be mad. All right. And I think it's in the notes, but I think I filed that up for you. I'm sorry. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at chapter 2 here a little bit. Ephesians is the body of Christ. Colossians is the head. Okay. Um, Galatians, oh yeah, Galatians, Ephesians chapter 2. I, I wanted to hurry through the end part of, of 1 there. You, you can read through the notes and, and get some stuff out of there. But I, I really want to look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 because there's some deep theology here too that you got to wrestle with. Um, and it says in verse 1 there, And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. All right. When we look at Ephesians chapter 2, we are introduced to this whole notion of depravity and spiritual death. And um, I think the way we need to understand this is to look at what he's talking about here. He says, and you hath he quickened. What does it mean to be quickened? Made alive. All right. So who did the quickening? God did. Well, it's the Holy Spirit who's the agent of regeneration, yeah. But, Paul's using a general term here, God made you alive. Alright. And what were you prior to being made alive? Dead. Dead. Okay. So, this goes back to this whole notion, I think, of what it means to be depraved and what it means to be spiritually dead. Alright. And that's, that's really a question. Now, if you ask theologians that, here's the question. What does it mean to be dead? To be dead. Spiritually, I'm going to put spiritually dead. What's that mean? 
when we talk about that. Um, well, let's look at it. Let's look at what it does not mean. It does not, one, mean that you do not have any moral understanding of right and wrong. Okay? Because we all have that, right? We all have a residual understanding of right and wrong. So it does not mean, alright, that there is no, there is no, I'm going to put moral consciousness. We do have a, 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 a a knowledge of right and wrong. There's built within a human, now we may argue about what is right and what is wrong, but we all have this notion of right and wrong. So it does not mean that there's no moral consciousness. Alright. Um, it does not mean to be spiritually dead. It does not mean that um, you can't think about God. Right? I mean, the people out there in the world, they, they think about God. Now, they get all the wrong answers, but they certainly have a God consciousness to them. I mean, they understand that there's a God. So to be spiritually dead does not mean you're an atheist, necessarily. All right? Um, what does it mean um, to be spiritually dead? Well, let me ask a question. If you're spiritually dead... Can you, in and of yourself, respond to spiritual truth? No. No. So you cannot respond. And when I say respond, I'm saying respond with understanding, okay, to spiritual truth. In other words, and, and Jim Hackett told us in a break. I mean, he, he gave an illustration. His dad, who came to Christ three days before he died, they'd be arguing for days and days and days on stuff and not get anywhere. And finally, three days before his dad's death, all of a sudden, something happened. Where all of a sudden, there was a, a light that went on. Now, his dad understood spiritual issues, could talk about right and wrong and God, but to understand spiritual truth and be able to respond to that understanding in and of yourself, you can't do that. Alright? Um, if, I'm, if I'm spiritually dead, am I as evil as I can be? No. Okay. It does not mean that I'm as bad as I could be. Because, you know, quite honestly, there's a lot of people, yeah, I'd rather be living next to, you know, some of you than Saddam Hussein, right? I mean, you know, we're not all as bad as we could be. No matter how bad you are, you can always find somebody worse than you, all right? It does not mean I'm as bad as I could be. It just means that when it comes to spiritual truth, I am not sensitive to that. Um, does, uh, if I am spiritually dead, do I have any initiative to seek God for who God is? No, I do not. <coughs> what will I seek? What God gives. 
but I'm not going to seek God for who He is. So it says, I will not seek God. And, and, and by the way, what does Romans 3 says? God seeks us. Christ did not come to the world to be found by those seeking Him. Remember, He said, I come not in the world to be found by the one seeking Me. He said, I came in the world to seek and to save that which was lost. God is, God is talking to Israel and, and telling them through His prophet that the time to seek God is not... It, it, there's a day to seek God because there comes a day in which you can't. Alright. Um, and that's talking to, na to the nation to turn back from their sin and to repent. That's a national call to Israel through His prophets. It's different than the salvation call, I think. Um, well, we could go on. I, I think the point here, what we need to understand, and, and we don't like this, but this is the way it is, because the Bible teaches it, is that a person who is dead in sin cannot understand spiritual truth. They can't. Now, they may be, you may be able to argue with them about right and wrong, because, again, they got that residual knowledge of right and wrong. But for them to, for the, they, they will not understand, for example, the gospel. What is the gospel to the ones who are perishing? Foolish, stupid, dumb. They don't understand it. Um, Vance Havner says you might as well talk nuclear physics to a cigar store Indian. As to tell them about Christ, as to tell an unregenerate person to have them understand spiritual truth. So the question then becomes, well, I don't understand this then. Because you told us last hour that we need to preach the gospel to everybody. Well, why preach it if they can't understand it? Right? And if they're not going to get it, why even say anything? Because you don't know if they're going to get it or not. Plus, doesn't that allow the Holy Spirit to do its work? Right. And we don't know how to escape this, or this, and they have sin. No. No. Right. Now, here's a question. Here's a good question. Can the Spirit convict someone and yet have that person not respond in faith to Christ? Is that possible? Yeah. Can, this, can the Holy Spirit convict someone of sin and yet not have the, and yet that person not respond in faith to Christ? Yeah. As judgment. As judgment. I mean, Judas, like Judas. But he wasn't saved. It may, it, it's, it's judgment, I think. It's judgment. The Holy Spirit can convict people of sin, and yet that person may not respond. Okay? And see here, this, this goes back, this goes back to, and, and I'll just tell you how I understand it, and you got to sort it out for yourself. Alright? But, how does a person, how does a person become born again? 
How does that happen? Christ draws them, but are they born again if they're drawn? And why do they accept it? But if they're spiritually dead, how can they believe anything? Yeah. That's how I understand it. Okay. This is this is this is my understanding for all it's worth. And there there are there are debates on this and all kinds of stuff. Alright. But if you look at the this is called the order salutis. It's a it's a very fancy it's you know, I, I don't know if you know uh R. C. Sproul likes to banner all these uh Latin terms around or something like that, you know. But but I think my understanding is and I and I think I can back it up with this passage here. Alright, is that in the salvation process, when you were born again, what happened? Okay? Number one, I think you heard the message. Alright? And, and I think the Bible says makes that very clear. How can they hear without a preacher? Romans chapter 10. Somebody's got to proclaim the message to them. They've got to know what the gospel is. And an unregenerate person can hear the facts of the gospel. All right. They can hear those. They can't respond to them because they're spiritually dead, but they can hear them. Okay. Somewhere along the line, you heard the message. Okay. Somewhere along the line, there was some conviction of sin. If you show me a person who comes to Christ without no conviction, they didn't come to Christ. Because if you don't have any, if, if there's no sin, what's the use? So somewhere along the line, you were convicted. The next thing I believe that happens, and I'm simplifying this a little bit, but for our discussion, is then the Holy Spirit regenerates you. And what does it mean to be regenerated? You're born again. That's when it happens. You're made spiritually alive. Alright. What's the first thing as a spiritually alive being that you do? You repent. And in the same, the same or whatever, you ex exercise faith. All right. If we can back up one with, with regenerate, so you say you come on prior to that you were dead. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. To regenerate, mm -hmm. you said is is to come alive. Yes. Meaning that prior to that you were dead. You were dead. Prior to that, you're dead. After this, you're. I'm going to put saved. Can you repent? If you're spiritually dead, you can't respond to truth 
You can't respond in faith. I mean, you can hear it, you can be convicted by it, but you can't respond in salvation. You're dead. I can take a dead body and smack it in the face all I want, and it ain't going to do anything. But what I'm saying, once you hear the message and you're convicted of your sins, shouldn't you repent then? If, if you know you're wrong? From the human perspective, you don't see this piece. Okay. What you see is this piece, this piece, and this piece. Right. You say you're I'm saying there's a, there's a piece in there that God does. He regenerates you. Okay. All right. Now, there are some that say, no, 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 no. They say what you do is you repent and then you're regenerated. There are some that, that believe that. My only question on that is how can a spiritually dead person repent unless God gives them spiritual understanding? And who gets spiritual understanding? Is the regenerate person? Yeah, well, Josh. Well, the question is, how can a spiritually dead person have conviction? Conviction to the point that they know they need. You can be convicted of knowing you're you're a sinner and knowing you're wrong, but what what you can't do is respond in the proper well, way. I mean, even you said, Alan, that when you're when you're spiritually dead, you can't understand it. You, 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 are, you cannot understand spiritual truth. So when you're at the point of conviction, that means you have realized something. That means understanding has taken place. And God is doing that work in your, in your heart. And even though you may be convicted of your sin, like, like the rich young ruler when he came to Christ, he was convicted of something. But then God said, go sell everything. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. All right. He he came up to a point of of comprehension, of illumination. In fact, that might be a good way to put this. Is is what you have here? These two steps here are illumination. God is revealing truth to you. Now you're not yet saved. You're not yet born again. But God is bringing an awareness of truth to you. But you don't understand it in the way that you should. Because, I mean, Judas understood he, what he did was wrong, but he did not exercise faith toward God. He did not, he was not regenerated. I think even for myself, for many years I had a lot of conviction, but I didn't have real repentance. No. You can feel sorry for things because your conscience can do that, right? And from the human perspective, your conscience can tell you you've done something wrong. But you can't respond to that appropriately until God does what? Until you have regeneration, at which point then all of a sudden you repent, you confess, you believe. The light goes on. There's a flash of understanding. What is that flash of understanding that we've all had? That's regeneration. And by the way, too, it's a black box in a sense that no one dies in the middle. Just, no, it's a, everything you ever taught me. Uh oh. That's what I'm saying. That's a, it, it, what I'm saying is that the whole point is I'm not talking about 
you know, when you repent or anything like yeah. that. What I'm saying, everything that you have taught me is that a spiritually dead person cannot understand. Right. And what does it mean? That point of illumination comes a conviction. What does it mean to understand? That's that's question. You. And I think I think understanding goes beyond. By understanding, I don't mean that they can't be convicted of something being wrong. Okay. I don't mean that. All right. I mean, when God walks into the presence of a sinner, there's immense conviction. Okay. All right. But they will never respond appropriately. Why? Because they're spiritually dead. They don't know how to. Right. I know they can't respond. Okay. I know. I, so that, that's what I'm trying to get at. That's what I'm trying. And I think you see the same thing in Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, he talks about those, the, the fence sitters in Hebrews. He said, you were illuminated. You understand the truth in the sense that you know what the facts are. You've heard about Jesus Christ dying on the cross, being buried, rising again the third day. You, you've heard that that is the way of salvation. You've heard those facts, but you've not done anything about that. Or is that in Hebrews? That's in Hebrews. Hebrews 6, Hebrews 2, Hebrews 3 and 4, Hebrews 10, and Hebrews 12. Oh, all right, just read Hebrews. Um, and, and I think we can all, you know, there, there are people that you've witnessed to, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but you've witnessed to for, for years and years and years, and they, you know, they can tell, oh, I know what the gospel is, you know, this, they can repeat it back to you better than you can and, and better than your EE people can do. They know what it is. They know the facts. But they don't understand them because it's not made it's it's not yet hit the operative thing whereby it's forced to change in their life. So you would say in that person's life that they obviously have gotten to step two and that's as far that's as far as they're ever gonna get. They've heard the message, they've been convicted. They know the truth. That's as far as they're ever gonna get unless yeah. the Holy Spirit gives them the gift of faith. Absolutely. Yes, that's what I'm saying. And uh, by the way, it says that very clearly in Hebrews where he talks about let us lay aside the, the first principles and, all this, and we, let's go on to perfection if God permits. And if you look in Hebrews, perfection is used as a, a synonym for salvation. We'll go on to salvation if God permits. What do you mean if God permits? If God does the regeneration turning the light on, and all of a sudden in a flash of understanding you know what it means. And by the way, that flash of understanding results in immediately, it results in repentance and faith. Was that what happened on the cross with the one thief? He was convicted. You know, he said, wait a minute, this guy's not done anything wrong. There was some conviction there. There was something that was different about Jesus. And remember, he told the other guy, he said, listen, we're getting what we deserve. This guy hasn't done anything wrong. So somewhere along the line, he heard something about this guy that was different. All right, we don't know how much he knew, but he knew Jesus didn't deserve to be there on the cross. And I think what happened behind the scenes, my understanding is, there was, there was a point at which he was regenerated, regenerated, and immediately, what did he say to Christ? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. How could he how could he really see Christ for who he is? By the way, 1 Corinthians says no man calls Jesus Lord but by the Holy Spirit. All right. And, and again, it's it's a tough one. Yeah, Josh, you're 
Not yeah. Um, <coughs> no, it's you got to think through these things. Right. It's not. It's okay to struggle with them. So I mean, at the point of conviction, there is spiritual understanding, correct? There's an understanding of facts, but there's not an understanding in the sense that it produces faith and repentance because regeneration has to come first. Okay, so on a logical head level there's understanding. Logical head level, yeah. But you're still spiritually dead. You're still spiritually you dead. Have, you don't have the heart knowledge. Right. That's the distinction I was looking for. Yeah. Okay. You've got a head knowledge but no heart knowledge. <laughs> that's that's the difference. Heart knowledge comes here when God infuses when God get not infuses, but God gives you the faith to believe and immediately bang, all of a sudden now it makes sense, and now you repent, and you you exercise faith, and there's a change in your life. The bulb goes on, and a flash of understanding. Yeah. Are you getting uh, regenerated oh. out of uh, verse five, even when we were dead in our transgressions? He made us alive, and then um, Titus three five talks about that too. Yeah. But the first thing would be in the first and second places. Mentally looking for God, I mean, actively seeking out God. They could, they could seek. They, no, understand, they're not seeking God for who God is. They're seeking God because they feel an emptiness, because there's some aimlessness in there. Whatever reason, there's a lot of reasons people seek God. Yeah. Yeah, they could be seeking God for what God gives. They're, they're looking for peace or fulfillment or something. They realize that God is seeking them. But yeah, they don't understand God seeking them. Yeah, you're going to. Yeah, Dan? Um, when you go between conviction and repentance, what actually happens when, when you get regenerated? Like, just a period of time? It could be a, any period of time, period of time. This is an instantaneous thing, followed immediately by this. But between conviction and repentance, it could be any period of time. Well, oh, that could be any period of time in here. Uh -oh. But these two here. Numbers 3 and 4, these are tightly coupled together. There could be years in between this one. There could be years in between this one. But there's not years in between this one. Alright. In fact, this is so. This happens so closely together that as far as you, you're concerned, it's like one simultaneous event. So between my conviction and the point I repent, it could be years yeah. But these two things here are together. All right. Don't you believe God works in between that time period of two and four, bringing you through various, as a non believer? Remember, three and four are together. Okay. Between so between two, two and three. And don't you think God uses various trials? Oh, absolutely. As a non believer? Sure. Um, Whatever, Absolutely. Whatever difficulties in life, whatever, bring you to that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. You bet. God uses all, but but you got to understand that there comes a moment in time in which all of a sudden, and it happened to all of us, the light went on. All of a sudden, everything became crystal clear, and you saw it. And what was the first thing you did? Uh, repented. You exercised faith in Christ. That's the first thing you did. 
And up to that point, it just didn't make sense. Because again, you had the knowledge up here, but not in your heart where it needs to be. And see, here's the other thing. This is a work of God to bring regeneration. See, the other way you have to understand this, if you don't do this, is that, um, you know, think, think of the picture of a morgue, you know. You've got a dead body laid out in the morgue. And what happens is you give life to that body, say, do you like to live? And if the person says yes or no, if they say yes, they get to live. If they say no, they go dead again. And after a while, you wake them up. You want to live? And then you put them back. To, that's called prevenient grace kind of deal. And the idea there is, is some people think this. They think that what happens is when this conviction comes on, it's like God sort of wakes you up out of your spiritual stupor and says, would you like salvation? And if you say no, he lets you go back to your spiritual stupor. If you say yes, then all of a, then you... you you know, you respond in faith and believe, etc. But, but it's, it's God sort of half making you alive. And I don't see that. God makes you alive and the first thing you do, and once you're regenerated, you don't say no. See, that's the other thing. You're not regenerated and say no. You're not regenerated and you forget to repent. You're not regenerated and you don't, and, and somehow you miss faith. No, all three of those are... They're there all at the same time almost. It's a package deal. You don't get one and not the other. Yeah. So, based on that, you would say that a person who believes that they are saved and believes that they did all this because they listened to a presentation of the gospel and they believe that they were convicted of sin and accepted Christ and however many years later decide they don't even know if they believe in God, that they, what did they do? Was it just an emotional response? One of two things. One, it could have been an emotional response. Or two, they could be really redeemed. They're just not. They just don't understand it. Spiritual maturity. Yeah. It's just, so Don, Don Denevic said, for years and years and years, I thought that I chose God. And I finally found out, no, he chose me. All right, it's a spiritual understanding, but but and then that goes back to a good question: What happens after this? What do you see in that person's life? Change. Change. And if you see change for a while, it looks like it sort of looks like it, and then all of a sudden they go off and join the Buddhist monastery and become a monk. But they just do nothing. They may not be saved, or if they do nothing, they may not be saved. Now again, you don't see the halo, you don't see the E or anything. The point is, and I think that's what Peter talks about in um, Peter chapter 2. He talks about uh, add to your faith virtue and a virtue or to charity and charity this and this brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love, etc. For if these things be in you and abound, you'll be, neither be barren nor unfruitful. But he who has, does not do these things has forgotten that he was purged from his sin. You show me a Christian who is bound up in sin and disobedience, what have they forgotten? That they were redeemed. And what happens to the assurance of the salvation that they, it's gone. Alright? The, the, the New Testament is very clear. This is an instant in time, it's irreversible. You can't unbecome saved. Alright? 
But how do you know you really are saved? By your life. If you continue in my words, then are you my true disciples. Who continues? Believers. And why do you continue? Because you continue? Because God gives you the strength. That's the sanctifying and the, and the keeping grace that is ours. He keeps us. If you ask me today, Alan, how do you know you're saved? How do you know it? I'll tell you, the only way I know I'm saved is not because I feel it. Because some days I don't feel it. Amen to that. You know, and some days I don't act it. I don't know if you knew that. But I can tell you why I, I know I'm saved. Because I'm different today than I was a year ago. And I know that, like we were talking about in Galatians, there's a lot of things I did five years ago that I don't do today. Because... I want to. There's something different. There's something changing within me that makes me different. And that is the evidence of my salvation. Much more than remembering when I was eight years old, kneeling by my bed and asking Christ to be my Lord and Savior, thinking that I chose Him. He chose me. You know, and... and yeah, it's part of spiritual maturity. In First John, it talks about this. Uh, little children, what do they know? They know daddy. They know that their sins are forgiven. What do the young men know? Well, they know the word. They, they've grown in the word. But what do the old men know? God. You've gone beyond that to, to that relational knowledge of God. And that's where I want to be. You know, I don't... I don't want to just be able to rattle off his attributes. I'd like to know him. You know. Um, this, this is my best understanding. And, and I think as you... As, and we will, we will hit this next week because we just got all the background so it'll make it easier to go next week. But when I read this, I see God did this and God did this and God did this. I don't see me doing anything here. Because even in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, some of the great verses, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You didn't get the faith. Where did it come from? God. When God regenerated you, He gave you faith to believe. And the immediate thing that you did was exercise that faith. Thinking that it was yours, but really it wasn't, it was God's. You're redeemed by faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And see, that, that's the whole thing. This whole thing, to me, the keystone of the sovereignty and the election deal and all that is to realize I did not contribute anything to my salvation but my sin. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't work for it. I can't work to keep it. It's not because God liked me better than He liked somebody else. It's grace all of the way. And God gets all the credit for it. I don't get any. And, and this, this here, this is my, my best understanding that I think is consistent with the Scripture. So... Any questions in that? We'll, we'll, 
we won't belabor it. We'll stop at this point. I actually plan to get through Ephesians, I think, one in one week. So we actually did that. We got into two a little bit, but we'll still need to catch up a little bit. Well, on the way out, let me know what you got on the test so I can write it down. No, just let me know what you got. Um, we'll close in prayer. Father, thanks for this night, for the opportunity of study. And Father, we've hit some really, really deep things here in these two chapters. And it's, it's really hard, Father. Uh, I know I've had to think about these things for years. And even now, it's the best. this is my best understanding. But I do understand one thing, Father, and that is you saved me. And you didn't do it because I deserved it or I've earned it, but because you just wanted to. And I thank you for that. And that's all I can do is to thank you for what you've done. And thank you for this day in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.